friends, we've reached the season four finale of I'd Rather Be Reading. And I can't think of a more powerful book to close the season with than The Anatomy of Anxiety by Dr. Ellen Vora. As someone who has struggled the majority of my adult life with anxiety, this book was a game changer for me. And I hope it is for you too. So this book unpacks how anxiety, which affects more than 40 million Americans, including myself, manifests in both the body and the mind. This book is a paradigm shift in our understanding of anxiety and mental health, suggesting that anxiety isn't simply a brain disorder, but rather a whole body condition able to be traced to imbalances in the body. The good news about this type of anxiety, it can be easily treated. Once the body's needs are met, once our body's pleas are answered, those suffering from false anxiety, as Dr. Vora writes, can find relief. Those suffering from true anxiety should listen to it, realizing it's a signal that something else is out of balance. Anxiety, I'm coming to learn for the first time, isn't a burden like I've thought it was all of these years. It's a gift, our inner compass helping us. This is the first book to fully explain the origins of anxiety and offer a detailed roadmap for healing and growth. And I hope you enjoy this conversation. I am so pleased to have on the show today, Dr. Ellen Vora, author of The Anatomy of Anxiety, Understanding and Overcoming the Body's Fear Response, to chat about a topic very close to my heart, anxiety. This book offers those of us suffering a new way to understand anxiety, as well as practical actionable steps to help mitigate it. True anxiety, Dr. Vora writes, is not something we will ever entirely be free from, but she argues, nor should we want to be. It's vital for our well-being. Through this book, which is truly one of the most life-changing books I've ever read, not just recently, readers can reframe their relationship with anxiety, letting in healing, growth, and joy. So let me tell you a little bit about Dr. Vora. She is a holistic psychiatrist, acupuncturist, and yoga teacher who takes a functional medicine approach to mental health, considering the whole person and addressing imbalance at the root. She is Yale and Columbia educated and is board certified in psychiatry and integrative holistic medicine. And it is an honor to have her here today. Welcome to the show. Rachel, thank you so much. I'm so glad to be talking with you today. Yes, it's an honor. So we'll start here for so many anxiety sufferers, including me. I dare say that we would never say our anxiety is, as I just said a moment ago, vital for our well-being. But Mm. you write in the anatomy of anxiety that it is. So can you unpack that for us? Yeah. So I think this is such a critical takeaway that we're ready for. We are poised for this new understanding of anxiety. I really break it down into two types of anxiety. And on the one hand, I think that there's a lot of anxiety that we're experiencing these days that's entirely unnecessary and avoidable. And there actually are measures that we should take to make it go away. And that's not 
like that anxiety is usually due to some kind of like benign mundane aspect of modern life, like a blood sugar crash. That's giving us a stress response. That's making us anxious. And that anxiety is not serving us or the world in any way, shape or form. It's just making our lives miserable. So I like to avoid the unnecessary anxiety, but what remains behind that is not something that we can eradicate. It's not something that we can medicate away. And I really don't think it's something we should be pathologizing. Um, I think that what remains is this thing I call true anxiety, which is an inner knowing. It's like a North star or an inner compass that really helps us know, hey, slow down, pay attention. Something is really not right here, whether that's in our own personal lives, in our communities, in the world on a larger scale. And we, we have that true anxiety. It's in service in many ways. It's not something that we should be feeling like we should shame ourselves for being sensitive in that way. It's really a gift that we have and, and something that we have to offer the world. And I also think that we as a culture need to stop telling people that have this kind of anxiety, you're so sensitive, you know, you're too sensitive. Um, but to really actually slow down and say like, okay, you're picking up on something that the rest of us aren't. Can we hear what you have to say? No, it's so beautiful because I think for the first time, I was just telling you offline a moment ago, for the first time in my 35 years of life, I saw my anxiety as a gift. And, and I've never seen it as a gift before. I've always seen it as a burden. But through this book, I, I left this book feeling like, my gosh, my anxiety might actually be my superpower. Like this might actually be a, a, as I said, a gift, a blessing. And, um, you know, you mentioned this a moment ago, we're going to tap into true anxiety and all of the above in just a second, but I want to, I want to go somewhere where you were just talking about a moment ago, the book suggests that the symptoms of anxiety, um, are frequently the result of a physical imbalance, that anxiety is a whole body condition, not simply a brain condition. Can you tell us more about that? Yeah. So we've all been indoctrinated with this model that our mental health issues are, we see them from the neck up. We're like, okay, it's your brain chemistry. It's your serotonin. Maybe you'll go to therapy. Maybe you'll do a little cognitive behavioral therapy, but we're totally focused on just within the cranium. And that's not how I see mental health at all. The brain is a fleshy organ, like anything else in our body. And anything that's happening in the physical realm of our body is impacting our brain on a very physical level. So when we're out of balance, when we're inflamed, when we're deficient in certain nutrients, if our blood sugar is swinging wildly all over the place, you better believe that impacts our brain. And that shows up as what we call mental health issues. And so to me, this is the paradigm shift is to recognize that mental health is physical health and the access point, the entry point to helping us heal from all of these states in our minds that create so much suffering is to get the body into a bit more state of balance. And it's in many ways, the low hanging fruit because addressing mental health on the level of the mind can feel like, you know, being on the couch in therapy for seven years, but even just repleting certain nutrients that we might be deficient in healing the gut a little bit, taking a spoonful of almond butter to give ourselves some stable blood sugar that is something we can remedy in a matter of weeks. And I thought it was, I mean, this is groundbreaking, at least to me. I mean, I'm not in the medical community, but I think even if I were, this is, this is groundbreaking information. And I, I found it so interesting in the book. So I had a blood panel done um, 
I was it last year, like late last year, and I am deficient in vitamin D. And that is, you know, something you write about in the book that stood out to me is that might be one of the causes of my anxiety is that is that vitamin D deficiency. And so it's just not it, it, it as you say, the brain is not disconnected from the rest of the body right? It's a part of our body. And so it all is working together. And I just, I find that so incredibly interesting. And you mentioned this a moment ago, but I'd love for you to tell us the difference. This is a key point in the book between true anxiety and false anxiety. Yeah. So basically, you know, how I was trained in my psychiatric residency was, um, Anxiety is categorized as generalized anxiety disorder, panic disorder, with or without agoraphobia, social anxiety, all of this. And it's an interesting classification system. I think it's really designed to steer management towards like when a medication is indicated or not, or whether cognitive behavioral therapy might be indicated. But I don't find that in my practice, that system really holds water. It's not how I think about anxiety. I think about it as false and true. And false anxiety is that avoidable anxiety. It's really physiologic anxiety caused by these mundane aspects of modern life that get our physical body out of balance. And then I think it's important to note that that term false can feel really invalidating. Like, right. I was going to say that. (laughs) What do you mean? My anxiety is false. Like it is not to invalidate the very real suffering. I, for about maybe 10 years, experienced what I would call false depression. And there was nothing false about that suffering, right? Like my life was really, it was so impacted by that feeling. It's just that the path out had less to do with psychotherapy and more to do for me with getting off birth control and going gluten-free. That's my body. So in the end, I think of that as false depression. It didn't have to be happening. I really just needed a couple subtle physiologic shifts. So false, it's really just to point to the fact that there's a straightforward path out of this kind of anxiety. And then once we've addressed all the different false anxieties and we're no longer getting tripped into unnecessary stress responses that feel like anxiety, then what remains behind that is what I call our true anxiety. And that is where we have a sense of knowing deep within us. And there's a conversation to be had around how do we know the difference between our intuition and what might just be fear. Um, But I think that within there, our true anxiety is really our sense of something's really not okay here. This job is out of alignment with my purpose. Um, This relationship is actually, you know, not right for me, but it's a really inconvenient truth because I don't want to blow up my life and, and, you know, lose everything that gives me security. Or it can be really broad. It can be that you know in your heart that climate-related activism, social justice-related activism is your purpose and your calling. And it can feel like anxiety when we're just sitting around and not doing anything about it. Once we start to take steps accordingly and take action, that feeling of anxiety transmutes. It feels a little bit more purposeful. It feels like almost to use sort of a in in sort of a psych way to use the term libido, it's almost like energy fueling action rather than just something that's causing suffering as we sit and fester in the feelings. So interesting. And so, so I want to reiterate with false anxiety, it's actually our body sending a signal up to the brain that something isn't right. And in turn, our brains create an anxious narrative 
for why we feel uneasy, but the root is physical. Um, you're saying that anxiety is as grounded in the body as it is in the mind. Am I hearing you correctly? Yeah, I mean, it, the interesting thing here is that our brains are meaning makers, you know? And so if you give us a piece of paper that has two dots and a line, our brain is like, oh, I know what that is. I see a face. And if you give our brain a state in the physical body where we're hungover, we're sleep deprived, we're doom scrolling, and we're coming down from a sugar high, that is creating a stress response in the physical body. And those stress hormones, cortisol, adrenaline, travel up, impact our brain and tell our brain, whoa, shit's going down. <laughs> and then our brain says, oh, oh, I know. And it swoops in with a narrative. It says, I'm anxious because that stressful email I got from my boss. I'm anxious because the world is barreling towards doom and destruction. I'm anxious because this friend from high school doesn't like me anymore. So we swoop in with a story to tell ourselves to explain this feeling of anxiety. But in many ways, it's a kind of a retrofitted justification for something that's truly actually just physiologic. That's just, that's such an eye-opening, like, I, I, I hope listeners, you you literally can exhale a little bit because it's just, um, it's, it's very, it's just freeing because there's, it's, it's, I mean, how many of us think we have anxiety that are really suffering from false anxiety rather than true anxiety? And I do want to clarify one more time. You already did this, but just because we're referring to this as false does not mean that the pain or suffering is any less real. I just want to drive that home, but how many of us think we have anxiety, but it's just really false anxiety. In my practice, what I've noticed is that I have patients who sort of break down in a few different categories. I have had a number of patients over the years who have come in to see me. They've told me I've had decades of anxiety. I'm having frequent panic attacks. This is like defining my life and creating so much suffering. It causes limitations for me in my work, in my personal life. And for some patients, it's like two or three sessions of cleaning up wherever their physiology is out of balance. And it's a little different for all of us. Some people need to heal the gut. Some people need to get inflammatory foods out of their diet. Some people have a true like dietary intolerance that they need to avoid. Um, some people need to fix their sleep. Some people need to fix like a sleep apnea at the root of broken sleep. So it can be a lot of different physiologic things. For many of us, it's a combination of a few. And then two or three sessions later, it's like, I don't feel anxious anymore. And it's almost like this identity and this diagnosis I assumed was my destiny and for my whole life is no longer really applicable. So those birdies fly out of the nest quickly. <laughs> and then- Yeah, that's amazing. And then I'll have other patients where like, it's more like we're peeling back layers of the onion. And when we eradicate the false anxiety, it creates space for us to start exploring the true anxiety. And sometimes, and I think of trauma as being kind of at the interface of false and true, it's sort of more true anxiety, but sometimes what I find with certain patients is that there really needs to be healing on the level of the limbic system and the nervous system. If there's been trauma, it's almost like the foot is stuck on the gas pedal of our limbic system, just always in a state of acceleration in terms of perceiving threat and feeling hyperarousal and, and feeling uneasy. And so for those patients, it's not, that's not something we fix physiologically. It's something we fix through trauma-focused therapy, really focusing on the nervous system. And then some of my patients, it's really about now that we've fixed their anxiety, how do they get into alignment in the way they're spending their days? 
And so sometimes we go much, much deeper. Some people fly from the nest in three sessions. So yeah, let's talk about true anxiety for a moment. So true anxiety is not something wrong with you. You say it's your body telling you that something else is out of balance, be it in our bodies, our relationships, our lives, our world. Hello, COVID-19, right? And so, you know, I've always thought, and I told you this offline, I've always thought there was something wrong with me because of my anxiety and reading this was so unburdening for me. So thank you. And really, instead of asking, how can I stop feeling so anxious? We should be asking, what is my anxiety telling me? Is that, is, am I reading that correctly? That's exactly it. Yeah. And I think that, you know, we're so on such a societal level and it's an understandable reaction to anxiety. We think anxiety, I don't like it. It's a nuisance. It's bothering me. I want it to go away. So we think, how can I suppress this? But then we miss out on the message contained within our true anxiety. So what we want to do instead is start to recognize, how can we see this anxiety as a communication, as a message? It is not the diagnosis itself. It's the symptom of something else. And I think that we also just need to embrace that anxiety, true anxiety is not pathological. It's really something here as a kind of a, a gift or a superpower. And I've really learned a lot from Sarah Wilson and in her incredible book, um, First We Make the Beast Beautiful. And she talks about how, you know, we have our life naturals. We have the people that are just like, somehow everything just comes naturally and easily to them, right? And we need those folks. That's a normal part of the human spectrum. And there's nothing wrong with that. You know, we need them to be our pilots and our surgeons. We need that kind of level-headedness and evenness. But in equal parts, we need our anxious folks. We need what you have to offer. And there's really interesting research that Sarah Wilson presented in her book about the late zoologist, Diane Fossey, who looked at tribes of chimpanzees. And what she saw was that there were the anxious ones, the sort of more anxious, phenotypically anxious chimps. And they were not sleeping as deeply as the other chimps. They would be kind of on the outskirts of the community, high up in the trees. They were almost like this early warning system. They'd be on the outlook. When is there going to be an elephant stampede? When is there going to be a storm? Do we need to move out? So they would alert the rest of the tribe when there was a threat coming. And she did, there was an experiment where they removed those chimps from the tribe and the rest of the tribe actually ended up dying. So it's just to show us that like our anxious folks are not sensitive snowflakes. They are critical to the survival of our race. They are here with almost a prophetic keen sense of what's on the horizon and what we need to be concerned about. And so it's not a nuisance. It's not a pathology. It's really something that's here to serve us all. I'm not sure how or when I signed up for this job, but you're welcome, everybody in my life for being the, <laughs> for being the anxious chimp. Um, I love how you say that true anxiety can be a superpower if you learn to, how to tune in and how to let it guide you. And as you beautifully write in the book, anxiety is not the final diagnosis, but rather the beginning of our inquiry. And then you go on to say, consider anxiety as an invitation to explore what might be subtly out of balance in your body and life. So what can our anxiety be trying to tell us? There are a few main categories to be looking at just in terms of true anxiety. Um, we always wanna look at our work. And that's, in, that's not a straightforward inquiry because we're living in this late capitalist society where we have to earn an income and pay our bills. 
Um, but we also feel like we want to be making a contribution. We also need to have some protections and boundaries around our own energy, especially if we're anxious. And so I think it's a very hard balance to strike is how do we make a contribution and it's remunerative so that we can afford to live our lives um, and can we protect our energy. And so many of us find ourselves with one of those categories woefully out of balance in our lives and that creates an immense amount of imbalance. And so or it creates an immense amount of uh, stress and kind of profound uneasiness deep in our core. And so I think that it's worth looking at where can we make slight improvements or adjustments to how we're showing up in our work life. And sometimes it is as simple as um, rehabilitating our relationship to perfectionism. So maybe we're in the right job, maybe it's remunerative enough, maybe there's nothing like fundamentally toxic or mismatched about it, but we need to practice better boundaries with it. When the world expects us to you know, work many, many more hours than we're paid for. And we do that because we've been conditioned throughout our lives to say yes and to please people and to squeeze out any possibility of failure or anybody being disappointed in our work. So we just work all the time. And, you know, in that case, it's actually about getting comfortable with limits, with saying this is good enough for today and to be okay with that. For some people, it's actually about getting out of a job. And that's not always an easy path, but you know, in my book, I explore a lot of questions of like, where is this temporary convenience actually creating a longer term inconvenience in our lives? And I think when we are in a job that we know is just fundamentally out of alignment with our values, there's only so long we can rot away at our souls in that way. So I think that we just need to be straight with ourselves. We can't really work for the bully if we actually want to root for the underdog. What are some ways that we can better listen to our anxiety and respond accordingly some ways to as you write in the book complete the stress cycle like sleep getting out in nature and eating well are three that I've been trying to do more of since I read the book yeah so I think completing the stress cycle is such an important concept and this I really learned about from the book burnout by Emily Nagoski and Amelia Nagoski just incredible writers and they're funny and brilliant and sassy and they talk about how in the animal kingdom, we understand animals have a stressor and then they have a way of completing the stress cycle. Like if you see two geese having an altercation, when they come away from it, they flap their wings in this vigorous way. Or a rabbit, if it's been hunted by a predator and it does a freeze response and then it survives and it comes to, it shakes vigorously. And this is how animals basically press control alt delete on their nervous system. It discharges the excess of adrenaline and it tells their nervous system, the threat has passed and now I'm safe. And we as socialized human creatures, we have no shortage of stressors. We just don't have any practice for telling our nervous system, the threat has passed, now I'm safe. And we don't kind of shake it off and control alt delete on that stress response. So we just exist in this kind of incomplete stress response throughout our lives and it just accumulates. So we want some practice for discharging stress. And what I personally do is a super weird woo-woo hippy-dippy one, but I really love it. And I put on a particular track of music called <laughs> the Ama Extended Mix from the album Drums on Fire by James Asher. And okay. it's a shamanic, it's, it's, a, it's the same one I've been using for well over a decade at this point. And it's a sh shamanic drum music. And I just put it on for like a minute and a half and I shake to it. And I think that this really serves me in a lot of ways. It, resets it 
discharges stress, but it also, I find, kind of excavates what I might be holding on to in my body and even in my unconscious mind. So it brings things up so that I can look at them, be curious about them, kind of learn where my shadow is, where I'm holding on, that I need to be bringing that into the light. Other people like exercise, dancing in any form, singing, any creative pursuit, um, any time in nature, cuddling, connecting with somebody else. I think something uniquely therapeutic to our nervous system is to show up, tell our truth to somebody who can really hold space for that and mirror back to us, I see you and I accept you. And that combination, we really need that. We are social creatures. This is a non-negotiable aspect of human nature. No matter how introverted we are, we still need it in some form. And I think a lot of us are really cut off from that kind of feeling held in community and connection. I love it. Control all deleting, completing the stress cycle. I, we can all do something. I mean, you said it's 90 seconds of music that you, that you use and we can all do that. That is, that's, that's brilliant. And, oh gosh, I just, I wish we could talk about this forever. This is truly one of the most moving, um, thought provoking books that I've maybe ever read. And, you know, for my last question for you, more than 40 million Americans suffer from anxiety. Why do they all, including myself, I'm so thankful that I found this book, that this book found me. We were just meant to have this conversation, Dr. Vora. Why, why do people need to read this book? Because I'm telling you, listeners, you need to read this book, but I want to hear you tell us what we need from it. Oh, I mean, I am very... I practice a lot of non-attachment. So I'm not here to force the agenda of like everyone needs to read this book. I do feel like if this resonates or if you feel called to read this book, my hope is that it lands in your hands exactly the right moment where you're ready for the messages in the book. And there's, I push a couple envelopes. So some of the messages are really easy to swallow, right? Like, you know, you're anxious, you know, your blood sugar is swinging. You can easily stabilize your blood sugar and feel less anxious. That's not a toughie. People are kind of like, okay, I can get behind that. But I also nudge people on our relationship to caffeine, to alcohol, to eating meat, to sunshine. Um, so there, the relationship we have to psych meds, like there's no, I don't take a huge dogmatic stance on any of this, but I just open up a nuanced reflection on like, are we thinking about these things incorrectly in our society right now? So there's a lot in there that's not going to be an easy pill to swallow, but I at least want us all just eyes wide open, reflecting, having a discourse about it. And so I think if you're suffering in any way with anxiety, I'm hopeful that something in the buffet of all the different strategies and tips in the book, something resonates and feels approachable and just helps decrease your burden of anxiety in your life. That's my goal. And I cry like at the beginning of us hopping on the Zoom today, right? Like it really makes me feel um, on my path and really in awe and, and gratitude to feel like this is unburdening any degree of anxiety for anybody like that's how I know I'm right where I need to be you certainly did that for me and I want to close with this quote from the book the key is to know your own body and make conscious self-loving choices for yourself day after day what a powerful and at least for me anyway needed book um Thank you so much for it. And the Anatomy of Anxiety is out March 15th. Thank you so much for being here today. Thank you so much. So, so, so 
powerful. Thank you, Dr. Vora. This is a book I will treasure forever. Friends, I've got a life announcement for you. After 10 months and 58 episodes, as season four closes, I'd rather be reading is going on a bit of a hiatus. I am now back in the office full time in addition to my freelance work and a new weekend job as weekend editor of Marie Claire magazine. So exciting. My hands are so full right now, but this is absolutely not the end of the show. It's rather a thoughtful pause to recalibrate myself and read for pleasure for a bit, not just for the show. I'm not sure when we will join together again for season five, but it might be a bit. In the meantime, if you want to talk books, you know I'm always here at hello, I'd rather be reading at gmail.com. So as we close season four, consider this definitely not a goodbye, but an I'll see you after bit. Until then, keep reading, keep loving books, keep supporting authors and booksellers, and never forget to make time for the joy of reading, especially nonfiction books that sometimes get overlooked. We will talk soon. Until then, I thank each of you for making this dream of hosting a podcast about books come true for me.